Hi, I'm John Landis, host of the Jam Session Radio Hour, and it's the first anniversary of 88.3 WLIW-FM. And we're commemorating that with a $50,000 trustee challenge as part of the celebration. That means every donation you make now, through March 31, will be matched dollar for dollar up to $50,000. Now your donation can go twice as far, so we can bring you the programs you already love and new programs that matter to you. So please go to WLIWFM.org or call 800-262-0717. And thank you. Welcome to the Jam Session Radio Hour. I am your host, John Landis. And tonight we are bringing you the second part of a two-part interview of a rapper, Baba Israel, who has performed with the Jam Session here in Southampton and uh, with the Sag Harbor Music Festival and with others. And... uh, Loves to perform with jazz bands. That was the occasion where we were able to get him uh, and uh, to perform with us. And it was wonderful. And that was back in 2018, 2019. And more will come. Uh, so we brought you one part. This is the second part of that interview, which was a delightful interview that we had with Baba. He's a very talented performer and educator, um, activist, student of the world, um, poet, um, really a, a great performer. The... Uh, the band that we kind of put together with him um, included Otto Ravati and Bill O'Connell and uh, I think Sante Debriano, uh, Cleus Brondal on drums. Um, excellent, excellent. We did that at the Southampton Art Center a couple of years ago, as I said. Um, so the second part of the interview is, is an exploration of more of Baba's um, eventful life and work. Includes... Uh, him working with a group in England called Contact, where he became very involved in an arts alliance there, so much so that he ended up running it because of his talent and uh, his inspirational uh, activities. Um, also more about his father and, and uh, um, some of the uh, things that he's in, involved in now. Um, I guess he did. he's done a major piece on his dad, kind of a retrospective in multimedia, and he's putting together something that I think you'll find really interesting on the social cultural history of cannabis. Uh, He'll be talking about that later on in the interview. Um, So stay with us as we have the great privilege of interviewing part two of our interview with Baba Israel. Do you feel that the way your brain works as a person who does the freestyling that you do, but that that when you are freestyling, that you're maybe in more of almost like a meditative space? Absolutely. Is it like that? It's a flow state. It's absolutely a flow state. You're completely in the present. And it's, you know, there's lots of different ways to get into that state. It can happen through meditation. It can happen, you know, sometimes, you know, things like when you're cooking or, you know, when you're, uh, you know, different sports as well, it can happen. Uh, before I, you know, um, you know, we go into an area, can you just tell us how we can access that uh, that stream? Sure. So there's, there's uh, three different ways. If you're on Facebook, uh, you can look me up on Facebook. It's Baba Israel, and you, uh, you can find me there. Or if you uh, don't do Facebook, uh, I'll simultaneously stream to YouTube um, and under just the, um, under my name, Baba Israel. Mm-hmm. And then this is a bit more obscure, but if, if anyone's in the Twitch thing, I'm also, it also streams to Twitch under mm-hmm. my name. So three and, and it, uh, do these streams remain available or you have to yeah. be on when you're doing it? No, they're archived on YouTube. Archived. Uh, yeah. On YouTube and Facebook, they're and archived Facebook as well. All right. Yeah, and it's Tuesdays at nine o'clock. It's called the lift up live stream. 
Lift up live stream, and that's yeah. so okay. Tuesdays yeah. at nine, so you can hear it Tuesdays at nine, but you can also catch it later on. Whenever you want, yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a second, because it seems like during COVID, so many of you, you guys, you creative people, have are doing that, uh, yeah. making these available, and now it's been you know a year. I know it really uh, has, as the, which nobody anticipated. So then you probably started jumping into it relatively quickly but now things are getting more sophisticated or whatnot yeah so your fellow musicians what's happening with them who are are they, i assume a lot of them are doing something some a lot of the same things yeah are you able to collaborate what's have you been able to collaborate what are the forms of collaboration yeah and for I mean, those think, musicians for those musicians who are doing something similar to yourself yeah has that expanded in some way your experience absolutely no. experience yeah, I, I really think it has. I mean, one of the beautiful thing. I mean, one of the beautiful things of a very difficult time is, you know, how how do you remain creative? And it took me a little while to sort of, you know, I I've, I've been working with virtual projects, and and I had been actually developing a lot of projects where you had one artist being virtual and one artist being live, and we 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 you know it's called sort of telepresence, where we were using you know stuff like you know. Uh, this was before uh, Zoom really became so popular. We were using at one point Skype and then eventually these other kinds of platforms. So I've always been interested in virtual exchange. Um, and so there were some skills I could bring and I've done a lot of virtual teaching over the years. Um, but live streaming is not something that I really explored so much pre-pandemic. Um, and you know, what I started to notice was that, yeah, I was starting to see friends from all over the world do live streams from their homes. Um, and you know, in, in some ways it really was wonderful because I, I felt like, you know, I was able to watch my friends in, you know, England or Holland or Australia or, you know, different parts of the world, like share songs or do DJ sets or do poetry readings, um, you know, and it, it really did feel like, you know, a sort of uh, a community building exercise. And, you know, and then, you know, there, I have these friends called the Bay Area Hip Hop Theater Cypher, and they're a collective of actors and rappers and poets and musicians. And, you know, they started moving their gigs on virtually. And then I reached out and I said, hey, maybe I can come do a set. And, you know, normally it wouldn't be as easy because I'd have to get out to San Francisco. But mm -hmm. now I could just show up on, on Zoom. And, and, you know, and, and so I started to get booked in some virtual festivals and things like that. And, you know, I developed my equipment. And, you know, so, it, you know, now I've done performance. I did something in South Africa. I did something in Belgium, something in Morocco. You know, so all of a sudden you're performing all over the world from, yeah. you know, your from your living room, you know, yeah. or your bedroom or your garage. Um, I, I, so I would say that's been, you know, that's been really special. And, and um, I've done a, I've actually been working on a project with the State Department, um, which has been training hip hop artists in uh, other countries uh, around how to adapt during COVID. And so I, you know, I, I did a, I sort of curated a whole series of workshops where we had rappers and DJs and breakdancers and um, all kinds of different artists sort of do training sessions on how do you do this. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the biggest challenge is, is it's very hard for, for multiple musicians to collaborate in real time. Right. That's, that's been the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of ways that you can, you know, like, we, like we're doing an interview now, you could have two artists you know, I did this with, there's a great collective called Brooklyn Raga Massive. I don't know if you've come across them, but they're mm -hmm. uh, a wonderful collective of classical Indian musicians in Brooklyn. And they, you know, they, they produce weekly events and they sort of move that platform online. And so every Tuesday now at eight o'clock, um, they feature a different musician. They do an interview and then they have a musician feature their material. 
So, you know, I think people are being creative and they, they got grant funding for that so they can actually pay, you know, pay the artists, which is really important and really great. Um, but I think what we're all missing is the ability to play in real time together. That's the mm -hmm. hardest thing. Yeah. Um, we've done a few things where we've done, you know, created little bubbles, you know, where we, you know, I got together with my band, everyone gets tested, we quarantine, and then we, you know, they came to my house and, you know, we, we you know, recorded together or did some live streams together. We did one retreat at the Bethel Wood Center for the Arts, the, where the original Woodstock concert happened. Mm. And we, we uh, you know, spent a week together doing teaching for, with kids and doing some concerts. But um, that's been the hardest thing. There's one platform called Arts Mesh. Mm -hmm. And for many musicians out there, I encourage you to research this. It's the one platform that I've found where you can actually play in real time and it works. And I did one jam session on that where it was myself a sitar player a, a sax player a percussionist and we were able to jam in real time and it was it was really quite special yeah so this 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 um i uh, this is so fascinating to me this the state that you're in a little bit when you when you perform or you are or you're freestyling um, are you a meditator as well? Um, or, or because you go into that state and you can flat flow state, as you call it, that is your form of meditation? No, I do. I, I, you know, it's funny. I was actually getting back into meditating today. I did some meditation today. I, I'm, I'm sort of in and out with like seated, like sort of more like mindfulness practice or seated mm -hmm. meditation. Um, I try to, I try to, you know, I've done a, a decent amount of that in my life. And, and more recently, I've been concentrating more on Tai Chi. I've been learning Tai Chi. Really? And I'm finally getting close after many years to finally completing the first chapter. Nice. You know, and of I have how many chapters? Are well, there's a, this is the 108 Infinite. movement form. So I this think what? 108 movements. Okay. And yeah, I that's, think I've got that's a, one chapter. I, well, no, no, that's the whole thing. I think that's I've got about, thing. I've got maybe about 30 something. So I got, okay. I got four more, three more chapters to go, I think. But awesome. it's, uh, you know, it, it's, I have a wonderful teacher um, who's an old friend of my dad's and someone I grew up with and who's been studying Tai Chi for, you know, over 40 something years. And, you know, that's been very helpful, I have to say, uh, during this time to have like a, a practice like that. And, and Tai Chi is just really something very special for longevity, you know. One of the things that, uh, well, talk, talk, I mean, you're, you're an educator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think your, your interest in education has come along with your activism and your um, and your your talent and your performing. Um, is that? I mean, it's obviously not unique to you, but it seems to me that it characterizes a lot of what is Baba Israel. Is is the, is your educating? Is Absolutely. you are educating? Absolutely no. It's it's one of my great passions, and I think I think my my journey with that actually began in Australia. Uh, I moved to Australia in the mid '90s. And I went there to take care of my grandmother, who was, you know, she it was sort of the end of her life at that time. And I went to help my mom take care of her. And I had planned to go to Australia for a couple months. We didn't know what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden I get to Australia and I find out about this project where they're bringing together hip hop and theater. And I went out and started volunteering and they were doing workshops. And it was the first time I'd ever seen like institutionally supported hip hop workshops you know, uh, where, you know, they were doing music production and they were doing dance workshops and performance workshops and songwriting. And, you know, I, and I, you know, I was in my early twenties at the time and I was so inspired. I was so inspired to see, you know, the culture that I had grown up with and, and was always, you know, was completely shunned by school. You know, there was hip hop was completely, 
not embraced in any way in my academic experience. Um, and so to see, you know, a community theater company doing outreach to young people, providing young people a platform to tell their stories, to process their experiences, you know, I was blown away by it. And, you know, I, I really fell in love with that. And then in, when I moved back to New York, um, I started teaching, uh, I, I started working with the university settlement a nonprofit. Um, and I started teaching workshops and poetry and doing all kinds of things. Um, and it's just, it's been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. You know, it's just, you know, to, to nurture and, and watch a young person feel that magic of creativity and the joy of, of writing a poem or mm -hmm. doing a rap or learning how to beatbox or, you know, producing their own music or, you know, collaborating with dancers. And, you know, so it's, it's something I've now been doing since, you know, I, it's been a long time, over 20. You know, What's over been 20. the change in, in those years in the 20 some years that you've been doing that in the receptivity of the, of the, you know, the, the, the grants community or the, as like yeah. the institutional community in terms of supporting these or the school communities, has that yeah. changed in a way that you would appreciate? Absolutely. No, I mean, I'm now, now, you know, hip hop education is a, is there is a phenomenon. There's, you know, there's, there's hip hop, uh, there's academic courses at Harvard around hip hop education. Now there's, you know, there's a uh, hip hop in, you know, elementary school and all, all, you know, school ranges. And I think, you know, for me, it's not, it's not about necessarily legitimizing it because to me it's already legitimate, but it's about harnessing the, the, the genius creativity that's in these forms. And also, you know, giving, uh, affirming an art form that young people really relate to and feel connected to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's really changed. I think I, I started teaching in a high school in New York in 98 was the first high school I taught at. It was uh, Robert Wagner School of Art and Technology in Queens. And we started, you know, one of the first hip hop programs in, in, at that time. And, you know, I remember, I'll never forget, it was all of a sudden we had, our class was always full. <laughs> and no one was ever late. Yeah. You know, and I had guidance counselors coming to me saying, there's kids coming to your class that don't come to school. <laughs> now, they're start, now they're starting to go to other classes. Right. You know, so, you know, when kids feel like their culture, their, their voice matters, then everything else starts to work a little bit better. You know? Well, the connection, um, I keep coming back to this, but it seems to me the connection between mindfulness and what, you know, what um, is probably something that's, that's, that, uh, that, that attracts these kids. Yeah. Because they're, they're exercising a part of their brain that doesn't often get attracted. And you're not just getting artists, right? Yeah. You're not just getting like, you know, those kids, if it was a traditional music setting and yeah. it was elementary school or high school kids or whatever, some kids are going to break through and get it. And other kids are just going to, well, I can, you know, I can learn how to play the clarinet and then yeah. I'm going to put it down. But with, it seems like with hip hop, it's something slightly different. It's like a parallel track a little bit because well, I mean, maybe because of that mindfulness aspect. Well, I think, you know, there's a, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I think being, you know, in some ways, just being a poet of any kind or writing a song or it, it requires a certain amount of introspection and self-reflection. And I, and I think that, you know, you know, one of the, my favorite things to do with kids is free writing, you know, and it's, it's such a liberating activity for kids. And they've, when they went, you know, it's a little bit scary at first because they've never had the opportunity. So a free write is just when you give a kid, you say, okay, you got five minutes, my own only rule is you can't stop writing. You can you can write anything, 
Right. You know, and, and, and there's no wrong answer and you're not going to be marked and there's not going to be a grade. It's, this is about you creating a, a, a conduit between your thoughts and getting right. them out there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things I also do, you know, I always talk to talk about the inner critic, you know, we all have an inner critical voice in us. Mm-hmm. That voice can be very useful, but it can also be very problematic. And so whenever I work with kids, I always, we, we do a little thing where I say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, everyone's going to take their inner critic. They're going to reach into their head. They're going to pull it out. We're going to open the door. We're going to throw it out the door. We're going to lock the door and we're going to bring the inner critic back next week. You know, and, 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 <laughs> you know, and, and kids really, you know, they really open up to that and, yeah. you know, they've never been given permission to make mistakes. And right. anyone who's an artist, you know, knows you have to fail to create. You know, it's the only way to create is you have to stumble and experiment. Um, and in so much of school is not, doesn't allow for that. Be not afeard, the aisle is full of noises, sounds and sweet airs that give delight and hurt not. Sometimes a thousand twangling instruments will hum about mine ears, and sometimes voices that if I then had waked after long sleep will make me sleep again. And then, in dreaming, The clouds, methought, would open and show riches ready to drop upon me, that when I waked, I cried to dream again. Do not be afraid, a city full of noises Poised to absorb sounds and sweet air We share the light in sight Souls take flight and break night To men day we hurt not, we flirt with words hot Surrounded by a million moments of music and poets The drums hum in my ears Voices moist with muse, strong speech soothe my blues After a long sleep I sleep again Seeking zen, peace and clouds Now shrouds I awake, crying to dream again Crying to dream again I wanna dream again I need to dream again I'm dreaming when I'm reaching, feeling revealing what the music is healing When it's sealing a kiss, when I'm searching for this bliss, reminisce Take me away from this world for a moment ethereal When I feel that it's moving, it's atmospheric and it's clearing with this motion Moving rhythm, flowing, breaking, relating, celebrating when I'm knowing Reaching when I'm rising, finding, reminding, never blinding when I'm doing what I'm consigning Into the moment of emotion, devotion with all that I feel Reveal with the music when I see with the moment when I know this music will definitely heal Reveal Music to hear, why hearst thou music sadly? Sweets with sweets, war not, joy delights in joy. Why lovest thou that which thou receivest not gladly, or else receivest with pleasure thine annoy? If the true concord of well-tuned sounds by unions married do offend thine ear, they do but sweetly chide thee, who confounds in singleness the parts that thou shouldst bear. Mark how one string 
sweet husband to another, strikes each in each by mutual ordering, resembling sire and child and happy mother, who all in one, one pleasing note do sing, whose speechless song, being many, seeming one, sings this to thee, thou single wilt prove none. You're listening to 88.3 FM in Southampton, Long Island's only NPR station. And uh, we are also at WLIW.org slash radio if you want to hear us online. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour, and we are interviewing Baba Israel Part 2. You have, an, you have a master's that you got. Uh, where'd you go? I went to a, a very, a, a really cool, unique uh, university called Goddard in Vermont. Right. You went to Goddard in Vermont. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did my MFA. And the master's there. is in what? It's an MFA in interdisciplinary arts. And so for me, you know, my research there was, was around the, the bringing together of hip hop and theater. Um, and I was sort of looking at that, you know, how these two forms could in, in influence each other. And, and I created a, my thesis project, I created a one person show. Um, and then I created like a book, like a little sort of thesis that went along with that, that sort of documented the process of creating the show and my research for the piece. Um, you know, but it, it, I was really, you know, I studied theater, I studied, you know, poetry, creative writing, performance were the areas that I was really looking into. Um, but what I loved about this school is it was a very student-centered model where it was really, you know, we did, we, you kind of created your own uh, structure. You were, we worked with an advisor um, and I've, I had some wonderful advisors, you know, I had uh, a great advisor named Daniel Alexander Jones, who's become a, you know, a really wonderful, you know, the very respected theater artist who actually has written a book about uh, jazz theater, about the way that jazz can influence uh, a lot of the sort of black arts traditions and black theater and the way the ways jazz sensibilities can be applied to performance and to theater. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I, yeah, it was, it was a special place and a, a really a chance for me to sort of part of why I went back to school is I was doing so much teaching and I had dropped out of college in the nineties and sort of given up on traditional education. But when I started teaching, I wanted, I realized that I wanted to, I wanted to further and, and more deeply educate myself. So I would have even more to offer. Um, and then, and then, and I, and I wanted to also sort of learn more about how to research and, and sort of develop a project on a different scale. So when you went to Goddard, you already had been teaching. Yeah, I was teaching because at that time, as a teaching artist, you didn't necessarily uh, need a degree often in those cases. And, and, you know, it was because you were coming in, you know, it was more based on your artistic pedigree. Um, and because I had a lot of an experience as an artist, I was getting gigs teaching. Um, and then and then this sort of added just, you know. So Goddard was after the, your experience in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. No, Goddard was in the, I went back to school kind of later in my late 20s. So it was in mm -hmm. the 2000s. Um, and then I had a whole other chapter where I ended up, after I graduated Goddard, I, I toured this one person show around a bit and I toured it to England. And I went to, I went with my father first and we did a double bill together. And then I went back with uh, my solo show that I had developed at Goddard and I was starting to build a relationship with this theater in England, a very unique theater called Contact Theater uh, in Manchester in the north of England. And it was a, a theater where young people were at the center of everything. They were on the board. Young people were on the board of directors. They were involved with, you know, the marketing team, the programming team. They were 
producing they were there was a young company they were they were doing hip-hop there they had you know uh, a dj in in the lobby and and i ended up the the guy who was the founding artistic director there his name is john mcgraw and he's now the artistic director of the manchester international festival which is a major festival in england he um you know he came up to me and said you know i'm leaving my job here and he said i think you should apply for my job and i was like wow. i was like excuse me excuse me <laughs> and he's, you know because it was you know running running a major institution yeah. in the building and and right. i actually ended up getting the job and i and i ran this theater in england for almost four years which was when was I, that when that was, was that? 2009 i started okay. there and um you know it was a beautiful building it looked like a sort of futuristic castle and we had a 300 seat theater we had a 100 seat theater we had a little cabaret space we had a restaurant so your daughter was born there she was born there yeah yeah, yeah she was born there and uh yeah, it, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was quite a run, quite an experience. I learned a lot. I learned a lot there. Yeah. Did you want to stay? I mean, you were, you were the executive director. Yeah, I was the artistic director and the chief artistic executive director. there. Yeah. yeah, I was both. I was actually chief executive and artistic right. director. Uh, I, you know, it was interesting. I, I was really enjoying the work, but life sort of got in the, got in the way or interrupted. And, you know, my, my father ended up passing away in 2012 uh, very unexpectedly. And my, it left my mother in a very tricky situation. So I ended up having to come back to take uh, care of my mom. Gotcha. You know, and I brought my mom out to England for about six months, but then uh -huh. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't looking Didn't. like I could get her a visa there. And so, you know, I ended up coming back to New York. But I think what, what was good about that is that allowed me to come back into the life of being a performer um, because, you know, I was doing some performance, but running that whole operation, you know. You're I running a... Yeah. yeah, I, I did. Uh, you know, I was still, but I was still, I would meet up with Jason Linder in Europe. You know, uh -huh. you know I would, we would still do, you know, I was still putting out music and I was directing a lot of plays there. You know, I was directing um, productions there. So I started, I got to develop, you know, uh, my, my sort of directorial eye as a, as a theater maker. And I also was producing a lot of work there. So I, I learned how to write, you know, I was writing all kinds of grants you know, so it really did. It was like, you know, it was like another, you know, graduate program in a way. You know, I, I had some very incredible mentors. I got mentored by senior people from the Arts Council there. You know, I, I really got, you know, I got thrown in the deep end, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And then I came back and then, you know, I, I, you know, I was really grieving the loss of my dad because we were so close. You know, we were you know, he was really, we were each other's greatest fans, you know, and, and I really, he was such a, a source of uh, mentorship and he had, my dad had the best sense of humor. He was like really funny and full of heart and soul. And so when he passed away, it was really rocked my world. And I decided to turn to my art and I made a, I made a, a, a production about his life. It was a conversation between me and his archive. Wow, and, and um, you know, it took me three years to make it, and I developed it in England and in Amsterdam and in Norway. And uh, what do you mean a conversation between you and his archive? What does that mean? Well, you know, when my dad passed away, I started to look. You know, I had to pack up all the stuff, and I started. I found, you know, he had saved everything. He had, he had, you know, my dad had filmed all his performances from the, you know, from 1980 to 2008. You know, he had. He had, you know, every form of tape you could imagine, you know, two inch reels and wow. VHSs and Hi8s and Betacam. And there was just all this footage of his performances and interviews and his writing and, 
you know, and then stuff from the living theater and, you know, posters and all these artifacts. And then I thought, I want to, you know, I want to do something with this material. So I, I, I worked with a great director from England called Leo Kay, who had done a show about his father. And, and we started to experiment. And, you know, eventually we got a residency at this place called Brick in Brooklyn. We got a, a like a major residency there. And, and, we were able to to create uh, a full you know hour and a half production, which was like a mixture of you know theater and poetry and storytelling and music, and we had you know 180 archival boxes that were stacked that were our set, and we would project video on those, and and then we created a, an art exhibition, and we took over the whole building of brick for two months and made it turned it into a festival. And so I was really, I was able to really process the loss my of God. my father and I was able to, you know, create this event in the Brooklyn, you know, the place of his birth. And it was, and, you know, in Wavy Gravy, who, I don't know if you're familiar with Wavy Gravy. Sure. Yeah. You know, he, he's, don't take the brown acid. That's right. Exactly. Well, Wavy Gravy, before he was Wavy Gravy, uh, he was Hugh Romney and he ran a, a thing uh, called the Midnight, I believe it was called the Midnight Cabaret. And this, and this was, he gave my dad his first gig. No and, kidding. And so when we did this event, Wavy came came out and you know was was there at the opening night, and we did a we showed you know the the documentary about Wavy Gravy, which if you haven't seen the documentary about Wavy Gravy, I highly it's called Saint Misbehaven, and it's Saint like, Saint Misbehaven, <laughs> and it's it's a it's a brilliant film. It it it's a film that just reminds you about yeah. all that is good in in life. You know? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So are, is there a record of what you created at Brick? Yeah, there is actually. You know, I, I haven't released it yet, but I have a I have a four camera shoot of that show. And I'm and I'm and I'm a project I want to get back to, which I is is I'm trying to, you know, create some kind of an online archive of my father's work. So I think, you know, it's sort of uh, I mean, I'm in process with that at the moment. But there is a there is a documentation of the video and um there's actually some writing workshops that I'm going to be releasing soon through an organization in Holland, which are, you know, sort of based on the process of writing that show. Um, but yeah, so it, there is, a, there is a, a really good video of it that at some point I will, I will release out there into the world. Um, and that, you know, and that was, a, that was a great turning point for me because it was my first time really in New York having real support as an artist in terms of a venue investing in a production and and it you know it was a real breakthrough for me and you know now i'm a resident artist at a new theater making a new production and that you know i, I don't think that would have happened without that step and and mm -hmm. so it's yeah it's, it's it's been quite a journey can you tell us any more about that sure project, yeah yeah it's, project yeah it's I'm, i think i told you a little bit about this one time uh it's it's a piece inspired by a book written by a friend of my dad's named martin lee who's a great writer um, he wrote a book called, speaking of acid, called Acid Dreams, um, which is a, a sort of history of acid. And he had interviewed my father for that book. And so that's, that's how I, I knew about Martin. And when I was researching my, the show about my dad, I started reaching out to my dad's old friends, you know, to interview them, to gather stories. And I reached out to Martin. And, and funnily enough, I ran into him in Amsterdam in a, in a coffee shop there. And and uh, he, he gave me a copy of this book. It's called Smoke Signals. And it's like the social cultural history of cannabis, of the cannabis plant. And I read this book and I couldn't put it down because it was telling the history through cultural and political movements, through music. You know, the book opens with Congo Square and talks about Louis Armstrong. And it just follows the journey of the cannabis plant through, you know, the jazz era of the 30s and 40s up until the beat poets, until the, you know, the sort of counterculture of the 60s. And it just... 
sort of follows that whole story, but through these cultural figures. And as I read it, I thought this is a, this is a, would be a great, you know, sort of stage show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after, you know, and after years and years, like we now have a home. So we're, we're in the process of, uh, you know, creating and producing kind of a hybrid, it's like a theatrical concert, you know, with, uh, with a band and with dancers and video projection. And if everything goes as planned and if we can, the world opens up in the way that we hope it will, we'll open it in a year um, as, okay. part of the pro- as part of the prototype festival, which is a festival of new opera and new music theater. Hmm. Yeah. Is it at Brick? Uh, we don't know yet. We're, it's, don't know it, yet. The, the, the theater that's producing it is called Here, Here Arts Center, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful theater. And I have to give them a shout out. You know, they're doing a lot of wonderful, they're here.org. Uh, they, they produce a lot of great uh, online stuff at the moment. And, you know, they, uh, they're a really special, one of the most supportive institutions I've ever encountered in terms of really nurturing and mentoring artists. And particularly during this time of COVID, they've, they helped me apply for emergency grants and loans and, you know, and really helped a lot of artists stabilize during this time. So, you know, we're, we're still finalizing which theater it's going to be premiered in because uh, Taylor Mack, who's a wonderful artist, uh, he, he's going to be doing his show, I believe at their theater. So, um, you know, stay tuned for more info, but it's, it's quite yeah. a piece. It's like a time traveling piece where we travel through, through, uh, you know, and pay, pay sort of honor, you know, different artists and activists and, and, uh, and sort of look at the hypocrisy of the war on drugs, you know, and, mm-hmm. and look at the roots of why these substances, particularly, a, a, you know, a, a plant that has such medicinal value like cannabis and which is now legal in so many parts of the country right. and is going to be legal in New York, you know, yep. sooner than later. You know, so it's but the roots of it are really in racism. And, you know, the first laws to criminalize cannabis were in El Paso, Texas. And it was a way of criminalizing Mexican immigrants at the time. So, you know, there's a, a lot to unpack, you know, and I, I think I think that's another thing that I think that piece I did with my dad is it it's it got me interested in, in doing theater that was based in dialogue with history. You know, in, in yeah. my show with my dad, it was very specifically a personal history. But it, you know, it interconnected with a lot of other kind of history. And this piece has been a, an, a new challenge. I'm also writing for a singer now. I'm writing for my partner, Grace, who's a brilliant singer and, and who's the composer on the show. And she's one of these singers who can sing, you know, any era. She can sing like a 30s jazz singer. She can sing like a, you know, classic blues. She can go like anywhere with her voice. And so I've been writing lyrics for her for the show because she's composing and I'm, I'm, you know, the librettist on the piece. Um, and that's been a lot of fun because I've never written for a singer before. And, and, you know, there's a there's a couple of songs and there's one that's like got a lot of emotion in it. And, you know, there's something when, you know, something that melody does, which is just so magical. So I've really, really been excited about that. When you say she's the composer on the show, you're talking about the the, the show about um, cannabis, cannabis. Yeah, yeah she's, and she's so she's composing different pieces, but you would yeah. be as well, wouldn't you? Well, I'm, I'm, I, it's, I'm actually just writing all the words. So I write the words and then I give it to her. You're and the then she writes the melody, the chord changes, and uh-huh. then we bring that to the band and then it becomes a, a full piece. And but, the band is your band? Yeah, Soul Inscribed is the, is the sort of band for the, for the theater piece. And then we're mm-hmm. working with uh, an ensemble of five dancers as well, which is really, you know, dance is just, when you, when you can bring a band and, you know, live band and, and live dance together, it's just exciting. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that.
am a collection of those that have flashed by my dream screen. My pops, he took me to the village gate where I heard Tito Puente play the liberation of the timbale. Walking down McDougal Street, where Ginsburg, Dylan, Lenny, and Hendrix took the wrist and stoked the fires of imagination. We pass a vigil of women where women speak their truth. We walk across town to Tompkins Square Park. We head down to the New Yorkian Poets Cafe, where Mos and Quali, Bobito, and Pietro Petre would say, Turn off your television and imagine. with you now and I'm feeling the city alive we are outside we are breathing in music melody we are bopping stepping our shoulders are loosened by the beat we stroll past Haitian drummers Cuban drummers horns blow we land to dig the revived big band black music Malal and Esperanza Spalding channel the spirit I'm at Pregones in the Bronx, drinking in the sounds of salsa, Afro-Colombian, West African, indigenous poets in front of La Casita, painted by Manny Vega. The beat is played by hands, and those hands have come. I feel myself gently, gracefully pulled into the present. I feel my eyes opening, ears opening, heart opening. We are this city. This city, we are generations, we have just arrived, we are just passing through, yet we are here right now, and we have made a memory together. Let that memory be the blood that rushes, the muscle that moves forward, and the thought that sparks. freestyle, we are sound, we are generations, we have just arrived, we are just passing through, yet we are here right now, and we have made a memory together, let that memory be the blood that rushes, the muscle that moves forward, the thought that sparks. Hi, I'm John Landis, host of the Jam Session Radio Hour, and it's the first anniversary of 88.3 WLIW-FM. And we're commemorating that with a $50,000 trustee challenge as part of the celebration. That means every donation you make now, through March 31, will be matched dollar for dollar up to $50,000. Now your donation can go twice as far, so we can bring you the programs you already love and new programs that matter to you. So please go to WLIWFM.org or call 800-262-0717. And thank you. This is the second part of our interviews of Baba Israel, rapper extraordinaire and uh, teacher and, and performer, um, activist. 
and this is 88.3 FM, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour, again with our interview of Baba Israel. I remember seeing, um, I guess it was a show about Fila, Fila Kuti. Oh, Fila, yeah, I love that. That 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 was one of my inspirations, I'll be honest. That was, And the band was uh, Antibalas? Exactly, and who yeah. are good friends of mine, I, you know. I came up with those guys. Jordan McLean, the trumpet player in that band, was my roommate in the early 2000s in mm. Brooklyn. Oh, you mentioned him earlier. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And, and uh, you know, Antibala, I mean, that was one of the shows that I thought really brought something very special and authentic to the Broadway stage. You mm-hmm. know, it really brought, and, and that, you know, the way a band can just drive uh, storytelling. And the dancing in that show oh, was dan- just phenomenal. So good. Oh, phenomenal. I mean, yeah, so I think, you know, that was, that's definitely one of the inspirations for me making this show was that piece, you know, and, and I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting Bill T. Jones and collaborating with him on one project and, you know, just a, a true visionary. Yeah. Hmm. He was the director. Was he involved? He, he was, was involved the direct, in? He, director and choreographer. Of Fila. Yeah, fit, yeah oh, no, exactly. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that, that piece sounds wonderful. Um, yeah. But, uh, and it's going to allow you to perform. Absolutely. So you'll you'll yeah. perform in it. I'll be, and yeah, Grace I'll, will perform in it. Yep. Yeah. We're yeah. sort of the sort of narrators of the piece. We kind of, Grace, Grace kind of goes, she sometimes sort of transforms into characters. Uh, we're still finding the structure of it because it's, you know, we're trying to deal with like a hundred year history in, in an hour and a half, you know? So, right. So, you know, right. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's some great stories. You know, there's, a, there's, there's, I wrote a song about this woman, Brownie Mary, who was this activist, you know, the first place cannabis ever became legal was in the Bay Area. Yeah. And it was in response to the AIDS crisis, you know, and, uh, and, and Brownie Mary is like, you know, this kind of folk hero, this grandma who is baking cannabis brownies for the AIDS patients and sneak them into the hospitals. And she got busted at 77. You know, and she was like uh-huh. this tough old lady and she, right. you know, and she, you know, she helped to sort of turn things around there, you know, and, and, and help that first law to pass. So, you know, we have a song dedicated to her and, and her, her spirit, you know, and, and, uh, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff and, you know, there's a, you know, we have a whole piece about Louis Armstrong and we do a reinterpretation of an Ella Fitzgerald song and, you know, so there's, there's a lot of original music. There's some sort of covers in the piece too. You know, right. I, uh, you know, we do like a, a soul version of the Beatles, you know, uh, it's, it's, it really, it is a show that I think anyone, any generation can kind of find their way into, mm-hmm. which, which I'm excited about. Right. And, and uh, do you have a director involved in the show? Or? Yeah, we do. A wonderful director, a guy named Talvin Wilkes, mm-hmm. um, who's a brilliant director uh, and a brilliant dramaturg. Um, yeah, someone I've, that, you know, I've collaborated with over the years. And um, yeah, and, and, you know, there's a whole sort of, crea- I think there's a creative team of about 17 people. So it's, Is that right? Okay. Yeah, it's like, my, this is my biggest production. It's, you know, exciting. And if I can, I don't know if this is an appropriate question, but how have you arranged the, how has the financing worked? Has, it, has that been? It's, well, it's been, you know, we still got, we still got money to raise, you know, yeah. as you can imagine, this is not, a, this is sure, not this like is creating not a solo piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we've, we've, we're, we're probably, we're, we're getting, you know, we're, we're making progress. We were, you know, I'm very proud to say that we received a significant grant this year from the national uh, NIFA um, New England Foundation of the Arts uh, does a national theater grant, and we were one of the recipients this year. Oh, congratulations! Uh, thank you so much. You know, it's, it's, I've never worked so hard on an application. Yeah, uh, and so I'm very grateful. And it's it's a grant that will help towards the development of the show, but also to touring the show eventually, because um, we want to tour the piece when we can tour again. 
but no, there's still fundraising to happen. So we're, you know, we, we got a year to figure it out. Did you say what the name is? Oh, with the name of? Of the piece? Of the... Oh, uh, well, we're still finally, you know, at the moment, it, 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 we're still finalizing the name. The latest possible name is Cannabis Exclamation, cannabis exclamation Point mm-hmm. of Viper Vaudeville mm-hmm. is the latest name. But we'll see. You know, we got a year to figure out the name. Okay. But, you know, you know, it does, we sort of, in a way, the show has a little bit of a, a modern day vaudeville feel in some ways, you know, with the live band and dance. And I'm sort of the master of ceremonies in the show. Um, you know, we're, we're imagining a show that will sort of be a hybrid. There'll be a place for people to sit, but there'll also be a place for people to dance. Wow. You know, we, want to, we want the show to really feel immersive yeah. and like yeah. you're in the action, you know? Right. Yeah. So um, I guess we'll have to conclude. I don't really want to, but yeah. um, the, the arc of your life, when I think about what, what I've learned about you and what I've read about you, and, and then obviously a lot that I've learned uh, today and that our listeners have learned, is that you know, the steps in your life haven't been anything that you necessarily went out to seek to have happen, but it's put you in this position of being, you know, an influencer and an educator and a performer and an activist and a, and a, and a happy, well-adjusted human being. Um, And you've made a career out of it, which is just, just really outstanding. When you look at the arc of your dad's life, was it similar in a way to, to how this has happened for you? You know, I think my, you know, my dad, when he, you know, he, they, when they really thought that the world was going to totally transform in the sixties, you know, they, they, they were like, Oh, so did I, you know, and it, and it didn't really happen in the way no, that they it hoped, you know, and I think, I, so mean, I think, yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there's obviously ripples and echoes and things, sure. you know, there's progress influence. Yeah. You know, there's progress, but as we've seen in the last five years, there was also a lot of, uh, a lot of problems and a lot of, right. uh, a lot of regression, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so I think, you know, I think, you know, as my dad uh, got older, you know, I think, you know, he, he, I think he was disappointed with some of the ways things turned out. But, but what I think was special for, about my dad is he always stayed in touch with young people. You know, my, when, my, when I started going to the hip hop events, my dad would come with me. Yeah. And then he would, you know, he would get on the open mic and, you know, he would like, you know, hang out with, with my generation and then even right. younger generations. Right. But I think, you know, as he got older, you know, and this is something I think all performers face you know, it got trickier because we don't value our older performers in this, in this, in our culture here. You know, um, I think it was, you know, when he went to Europe and stuff like that, I think, but I think there's not enough, um, in, in, in our dominant American sort of cultural paradigm, we don't value artists as they get older, mm-hmm. you know? And I think <laughs> I would say that some of his best performance was happening when he was, you know, in his late sixties, early seventies, he was doing things that, you know, but he had, you know, he had a tough time getting gigs at that time. And you theater know, and stand up, he was still doing. Yeah, he was still doing one person of... shows and stuff. But I think so. I think, you know, I'm very proud to say that, you know, I was able my dad was such a, a lift for me that towards the end of his life, I was actually able to take my dad on the road with me. Yeah. And, you know, we went to Europe and did a tour together. And that was like a really special moment because I felt like I was able to give him a platform in the way that he had given me a platform when I was mm-hmm. young. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Baba, this has been yeah. this has been um, really inspiring, really fun, and it's going to be fun for our audience. Um, and you know, I'll, uh, I appreciate your having given us all this time. It's been a pleasure. I yeah. always appreciate talking with you, and Thank uh, you so look much. forward to, for, to when we can all get together again. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to pull the plug on this recording, and hopefully, we'll be doing another one soon. Baba, you I'll, take care of yourself. All the best, man. Great all to right. hear from you. Great yeah, to you connect. Too. Take care. All right. 
Us with the feelings of lust for freedom's kiss to your hips that thrust. Ask that shake for goodness sake, but don't be intimidated. Respect on the dance floor. Hey yo, moving and grooving the music, the movement soothing, confusing, infusing, infusing with music, sonic confusion, seclusion, no intrusion, just in tune with us. I think you'll agree with me that that was fascinating. Uh, this is a fascinating guy. He's a great performer. If you get a chance to see them when he's when he comes out to Southampton or in the city, various different venues that he he will perform. And when this all when COVID is over and we're getting back into the streets again, um, 
So, uh, Baba mentioned some things both uh, in the first part and the second part, which I thought I'd pass along to you. Um, one of which is um, a, a collaborative arts platform that he was very high on called Arts Mesh. If you if you uh, miss that, Arts Mesh. Um, and then also his live stream is called Lift Up, and I believe it's on Tuesdays at nine. So you can catch that through his uh, Facebook site. Um, he also mentioned something uh, from Brooklyn called the I think it's called the Brooklyn Raga Missive, um, which is classical Indian music also. Uh, on Tuesday nights. I think his live stream is Tuesdays at 9 and that missive is on Tuesdays at 8. The Brockla, uh, the, the Brooklyn Raga missive. So I just wanted to pass those along. Listen, uh, so great to have you guys once again. So great to have had Baba. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, thanks so much for all those who help us put this together. Um, uh, especially Rafael Alvarez who does the sound for us and the post-production. And uh, Fernando Valladeres, who helps us uh, choose the music. Uh, Cleus Brondal, our uh, totally uh, courageous uh, and fearless leader and um, musical director. All those involved with uh, the Jam Session, the Jam Session Radio Hour, uh, and especially WLIW-FM in Southampton. So for the Jam Session Radio Hour, this is John Landis signing off. And take care of yourselves. Good night. Hi, this is John Landis, host of the Jam Session Radio Hour, thanking all of our listeners for supporting us. Happy first anniversary, 88.3 WLIW-FM, and many more.